You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, and we are proud to be partnered with Interstate Batteries. If you haven't visited your local Interstate Battery retail store to talk with a specialist about all your battery needs, you need to stop in. They have everything from batteries for your trail cameras, batteries for your rangefinders, batteries for your trucks, and everything in between. Uh, they have a battery for it. You can also go to find out more about the company and more about the batteries that they offer to interstatebatteries.com. This is a great company, a trustworthy company that has been around for several, 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 several years. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald. This is episode number 68. Today, we are kicking off Turkey Season Podcast going to run these all spring long and we're kicking off strong with my good buddy Catman. lots of turkey talk in this episode i think you're going to enjoy it this is the southern ground hunting podcast What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Pumped to be talking with you guys today. This is an excellent episode with my buddy Jonathan. As you guys know him, mostly as Catman. He is a uh, turkey hunting fool. He's good at it. He's really good at it. Now, Catman is uh, he's a character. And, and I'll tell you why. Like I went to his house to record this and... It's everything that you would imagine Catman's house would be like. It's like a minimalist house with tons of deer horns, tons of turkey fans and beards all over the place. Um, where most people have pictures of family or wife or kids or girlfriend or whatever. Catman has, he's got framed pictures of like certificates from a 14 and a half year old doe he shot couple years ago and then like trophy fish awards framed put on this wall it was really funny catman's a really cool guy i got to meet him at um saddlepalooza in 2019 for the first time and uh, we kicked it off uh hit it off really good and uh man he's a good friend of mine i've I've gotten to uh, deer hunt with him a couple times up in tennessee and uh finally got to sit down with him for a podcast and i think it's going to be a good one i think you guys are really going to enjoy this show um, but like I said in the intro, man, we're kicking off turkey season, and uh, as you guys probably know, uh, we did not have an episode last week. I had the flu. I was sick as a dog, and uh, I could barely talk. Drew was sick, too, so uh, we were both just kind of like, yeah, let's, let's skip this week. We were, we were pretty, uh, pretty sick. It was, it was bad, so, um, but we decided to go ahead and kick off turkey season with this episode with Catman, and... Uh, and it was just a good time, good conversation, lots of knowledge there. Um, interesting thing about Catman is he's not very old, and uh, he hasn't been hunting for a really long time, but I think it's really neat because he taught himself. He didn't have anybody around to uh, to teach him how to turkey hunt. 
a couple people that um, helped him with some basic things online and stuff like that. But for the most part, he is uh, he's self-taught and um, and really took it took it in and absorbed all this information and really just learned from the experience. And uh, and that's kind of the the main point of this episode is turkey hunting is all about being out in the woods and learning from your mistakes because you will make mistakes. So. Um, I'm not going to give the whole episode away. I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode with Catman. Real quick, before we get into it, wanted to remind you guys that you can save 15% on Scree Gear at ScreeGear.com by using the code SOUTHERNGROUND, all one word, at checkout. That'll save you 15%. Check it out, ScreeGear.com. You will not be disappointed. Um, yeah, that's about it. Hope you guys are looking forward, getting ready, getting geared up to turkey season. It is, uh, it is just right over the horizon. Been seeing lots of birds and fields, um, still flocked up, but man, I've been seeing them strutting. Um, just got my, my new camera set up for self-filming and, um, it's actually not a new camera. I got a new lens for another camera and, uh, I'm pretty excited about it. So probably here pretty quick. We'll uh, we'll get out in the woods and, and do some scouting for turkeys. I think our turkey season starts in uh, about two weeks, something like that, three weeks maybe, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. So make sure you are subscribed to the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Check out all those videos. Follow us on Facebook at Southern Ground Hunting on Instagram, all one word at Southern Ground Hunting. And if you would please. Please do this for us. It would it would just mean the world if you would go on iTunes. If you're listening to this on iTunes, leave us a five star review and uh, and say say what you like about the show. Um, write a write a review on there. That would mean the world to us. So yeah, that's about it. Hope you guys are ready because we have got an incredible episode with the man himself, Mr. Catman. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I have got a special treat for you guys today. I'm currently sitting here with my buddy, Jonathan, who uh, you probably know. Um, Jonathan, the Catman. Probably, yeah. You probably know me as Catman. Yeah, if, if, you, know, if you know Jonathan, you know him as Catman, more than likely. Uh, I actually, so funny story, uh, when I go to text you or call you or whatever, I always type in Catman, forgetting <laughs> that your name is actually Jonathan. But look, so when my phone goes to, when I go to search a name or whatever, if I put in Catman, I put in Cat and, John, and you show up. There so you so it works. Um, but we're going to yeah. talk about turkey hunting. This is the first turkey episode of southern ground podcast this season so i'll bet you're not more ready for season than i am i'm pretty confident that i'm probably not but i don't I don't mean physically prepared i just mean mentally i'm there i'm i'm tired of winter i'm ready to get after him yeah so but you had a pretty good deer season yeah yeah it was, i can't complain about it it was a good season um you ended up killing what i mean technically you killed you tagged out kind of in tennessee on bucks, sort well, of. No, no, I didn't. I, I really wanted to tag out with three bucks so I could post it online and everybody say, hey, the limit's two. But no, I killed two bucks. One was a bonus. So I still had a tag left. Right, yeah. Um, but technically, 
If you add up those two button bucks, they might count as a buck, but not legally. So, yeah, I wish I could have killed one more antler deer, but, you know, I can't complain about killing two half-decent eight points. I, I'll take that. Yeah, I thought they were – I got to be there for one of them, at least. Yeah. Uh, that was fun. That was, uh, a, that was a fun hunt that early season. Oh, yeah. I don't know what I did different, but I got into some, got into some deer that week. Dude, for real. And I felt stupid because every time I'd go out, you'd be like, yeah, I saw – so many deer and i'm like what the heck what am i doing wrong out here but i that was like the probably the fourth year i'd hunted out there in that particular area and i had seen some deer in the past but not bucks i'd seen a few does never had killed anything and it was a struggle and i don't know i think the numbers of deer were up but i also think uh i don't know if i just did it differently or something but i just got into some deer and i don't know Anyways, though, enough deer, right? We're talking about <laughs> gobblers. I could go on for days about deer hunting. but Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, uh, you had a great season, but I understand where you're at, man. It's like you get kind of in this little lull period where we're like, there's really nothing to do. Oh, there's you stuff to fishing. do. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I went fishing. You, we can go shed hunting or whatever. But, uh, I mean, that's that's I'm not complaining about that but once i start getting it like i went out two days ago and, and heard a bunch of birds gobbling on the roost and watched them strutting around gobbling and that that's all it took now i'm just ready for turkey season You're ready for it once I, you get out there and hear those songbirds there's the, the spring songbirds already chirping and stuff it, it's already, when it's not raining they are anyway. yeah it sounds <laughs> like it already sounds like spring out here in tennessee Sorry for anyone up north who might be listening, but uh, it's yeah. actually starting to sound like and feel like spring down here. It does. And once it, once we get to that point and I start hearing birds gobble and stuff, I'm ready. It's it's like I'm winter. It's time for winter to be over. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Like I've been sitting at home a lot lately and trying to catch up on uh on really getting time with the wife and the kids and doing oh, yeah. that kind of stuff. Because Alabama, we just ended our season. Just ended. Two weeks ago, you know, on yeah. February the tenth. It's a good thing I don't live in Alabama because I'd, I'd be a zombie by the end of deer season. Because you know I won't quit if season's open. Yeah, I'm if the same open, way. I'm gonna go. That's I, what it yeah, was for you, me. You were kind of making me a little jealous, and I was gonna go down there and hunt with you at some point, but it got to where license and everything, and time and and other stuff I had going on, I just couldn't make it happen this year. Yeah, but, and it was. Uh, that trip, I ended up going on it and uh, down to South Alabama. I think that's the one that I talked to you about yeah. coming to. And uh, it was it was fun, but what I found myself doing was already getting into turkeys. Like, yep. my mindset was already changed. I was driving in. I bet it was warm down there, too, wasn't it? Was, it? Dude, I, had to, I forgot my thermocell. I wasn't thinking I was going to need my thermocell at all. Yeah. And uh, so I forgot it. And then that first morning, I was, like, swatting mosquitoes and stuff. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it was bad, but uh, while I was driving in, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I had turned down this road, and I saw a flock of turkeys run across the road, and I was like, oh, that's cool. So I drove a little bit further, and there was a greenfield on some private land, and I looked into that, and there was just tons of turkeys covering this field. Mm. And it got me in the mood, man. Like I've, That's I, like I was saying two days ago when I went out to listen. They're still flocked up. They're still in winter flocks, but they're getting frisky and starting to gobble and strut and do their thing. I wouldn't be surprised if they've already started breeding a little bit. But, uh, yeah, just seeing a, a big, massive winter flock that's acting like spring turkeys and gobbling and strutting. and Dude, know, there had just... to have been 40, 40 or so turkeys in that one frame of that video you showed me a while ago. 
Oh, probably 50 or more. Uh, it was a ton. There's been days in like January when I'll go out there and it'll be two or three separate flocks in the in one area, but just looking across the field, you'll see if you count all the flocks together, uh, probably close to 200 birds some days during the winter time. And and you think you know there's so many turkeys, it'll be the best thing ever during spring. And if you get there opening week or opening weekend. You can get into some birds, but you're going to have a lot of company because a lot of people hunt them. And then within the first week of season every year, they disperse. They get hunted, shot, chased off, or they just naturally disperse on their own because they're turkeys, and that's what they do in the spring. So it's it's fun to go out there early and, and see a bunch of birds and get fired up and uh, maybe kill one early season out there. But then uh, a lot of them, the property line's not far off. A lot of them just kind of find their corner of the woods off on, on private or you might get lucky and find one on public, but that's just one of those spots that, like, yeah. they go from they go from massive winter flocks to, like, where do they go? Yeah, and they just disappear. Yeah, you'll you'll see hens. I mean, nesting hens. You'll bump. Like, you'll see like the lone hens feeding on the edge of the field type thing. They're still there, but they're just so scattered and yeah. they start to get quiet. The pressures pressures increased a lot the past five years or so, and and I I don't know if it was that or just what it is, but they've been quieter the past few years not gobbling as much so so talking in terms of years you haven't you didn't grow up necessarily in a hunting family right like you kind of just picked it up on your own tell me a little bit about how that happened nobody in my family hunts um my dad used to fish when he was younger my granddad on my mom's side used to fish when he was younger uh i got into fishing myself when i was 11 my dad bought me the rod and reel and tackle and taught me how to cast i still fish that same exact spot today where where he taught me how to cast so my dad knew how to get me started but then i took off from there because i was interested in it more than anything and then hunting it was i know exactly what started it and it wasn't like all of a sudden i want to hunt but i know it started the obsession like that spark you know yeah it was thanksgiving day 2009 uh, I grew up in the suburbs, but we had a little strip of woods behind the house, and you see deer and sometimes turkeys, but usually deer and stuff. And uh, Thanksgiving Day, which is funny, it was Thanksgiving. A whole flock of hens came through the backyard, <laughs> and I ran out after them like like an idiot and just chased them off and watched them flush and fly up to the How trees. How old are you in 2009? Um, I was 17. 17, okay. And and I just chased these birds off, and I, I got to thinking, you know, I'd been into fishing, and, and I, was, I had a vegetable garden. I liked, you know, growing my own food and stuff, so I, I chased these birds off, and I was like, dang, how can I catch one of these things? I want to try the meat. I want to cook one up. So I started thinking about how to trap one because I didn't know any different. <laughs> but that led to some research online, Google searching, watching YouTube videos, and and eventually I got to where I started reading hunt, hunting regulations and how to make a turkey tube call. And so when I started hunting, I was using the tube call that I made out of a piece of bamboo in a, in a latex glove because I found it online. And I was like, that's pretty cool. I can make my own call and learned how to use make yelps and clucks with it. And so uh, that's how it started. It was chasing off a bunch of turkeys, wondering how I could catch one and cook it, and then realizing I needed to hunt them, not trap them. And there's a whole bunch that you could get arrested. Yeah, for and that. there's a bunch of regulations around it. So <laughs> I started to slowly learn all the regulations and and stuff about calling. And I got on a, 
I actually went out that next spring with a friend of mine. He took me to a property he used to have permission on before they sold it, like all the good properties. And uh, we had a bird come in close. We had a goblin all around us, and he had a strutter decoy. And I guess we called in a satellite bird that day because he did not like that strutter decoy. We never got a shot. But uh, that was the one time I went hunting. That was 2010. That was right after I started my channel. And then uh, that later that fall, me and another friend who was equally as clueless as myself, we went out there during gun season twice onto some uh, public land. And I had I had my sights on a doe the first evening, but uh, it was iron sights, and I had never shot the gun before. So I and it was about a hundred yard shot. So I decided not to shoot. <laughs> And then after that, 2011 is when I started taking it more serious. I killed my first turkey and then killed my first deer that fall. Were you, when you shot that first turkey, were you still using like a bamboo? Yep, I've actually got it. We're sitting in my place right now. I'm looking at the shelf where I've got that old bamboo call, and it's held together with duct tape because it started to fall apart. I used to make everything with hot glue when I was younger, and that stuff doesn't <laughs> hold up very well. But I still got that call because I, I called in. It was uh, two jakes and an angry hen. I called in the hen, and she came in looking for a fight, and two jakes were on her tail. I shot it six yards. Wow. And there That's was cool. They were strutting full fan long beards about 70 yards out in the field, but they had those jakes so close. I just, I mean, it's my first turkey. I shot them. I, I left the long beards out in the field to shoot that jake at six yards. Heck, yeah. I'll never forget it. You know, that it's it's cliche, but everyone says, you never forget your first deer or turkey or whatever. But, I mean, seeing that thing pile up in front of me, that yeah, that's like one of those things you don't forget. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my first my first turkey was a uh, – it was actually a long beard, and it was deer and deer season in uh, in Texas, and I shot it with my .30-06. Um because you could. I don't know if the regulation still says you can do that or not um, in Texas, but back then you could. And I shot it with my thirty out six as a long beard, and I had forever. I had that fan and that beard, like, and it was just it was so cool. And and I still get this feeling, man. I don't know if you get the same feeling when you're used to deer hunting. Like deer come in real quiet, and you know you kind of just all of a sudden see them, and you're yeah. like, oh, cool, you know. And and there's something special about seeing a big buck, but when you see a turkey. Even now, it almost feels like a foreign sight. You know what I mean? Like, cause like during the during the springtime when they're strutting and they got different color heads and they, like it's just like a pop of color in the woods, walking through the woods. A deer oh, yeah. kind of is consistent. You know, they're always going to be that gray oh, yeah. or brown. A spring, a spring gobbler and a winter gobbler. They're they're almost like a different animal. They're, mm -hmm. They're, the skin on their neck shrinks up in the cold, so their feathers cover most of their neck, and they almost look like hens, and their little wattles and stuff are all shrunk up and small and pink and, and inconspicuous, and their heads are blue, and, and their snoods never hang down unless they're strutting. If they get into, yeah. if they get into a, a little fight over the pecking order, then they'll strut any time of year. But, mm -hmm. but it, when they're just being normal turkeys, not fighting during the winter time it's like a different animal yeah and then in the spring it warms up and they get they get all fired up ready to breed and and their necks get like three times as long which yeah. j really is just the skin i guess hanging down yeah i don't know like they they just uh, birds are weird the way they can morph their shape between their fat their feathers and yeah and then the their i mean turkeys i should say not not all birds but they're they're cool critters it is it see. is cool i remember last year 
Um, and I've shot a, a decent amount of turkeys in my life, you know. Um, I've only been hunting Easterns about uh, probably f- six years, five or six years when I first started hunting Easterns when I moved to Georgia. Yeah. And, uh, and, but I remember last year I called in a bird and, um, and I ended up killing him. But I remember seeing from about 80, 90 yards away when he first crested a hill and he came up over it and it's just like that bright blue that yeah. you can see just it's like pierces through the woods you can't miss it it's just a it's a cool thing and i you know i'm it's one of those deals like you know thinking about 17 year old you like why wouldn't you want to pursue an animal like that it's just yeah. just cool now you know? now when i was when i back when i was 17 and i the bug first started to bite me you know that that was a fall flock of hens. At that point, it wasn't even, I didn't know anything about the strutting and gobbling and calling one in. I didn't know anything about that, really. I just knew I saw a bunch of turkeys, and they were running around in the woods, and I wanted to get my hands on one because I thought, you know, is turkeys good meat? I, I got to try it. it. It was, I guess, the desire to to grow and harvest food just because, I don't know, the concept of it always was intriguing to me. Still is. I still grow a vegetable garden every year. And I'll still go out and eat fast food, so I'm not always just eating my own kills and my own produce, but I've always had a thing for it. Have you ever done Nashville hot turkey? Oh, yeah. That's actually one of my favorite ways to cook uh, wild turkey breasts. Really? It's either deep fried with just the plain breading, which I'll do both, because I'll do a, a cookout, and there will usually be at least a couple of guys come over and... uh there's always somebody who doesn't want the really hot stuff, so I'll just do the first batch of just plain breaded with, like, seasoned flour. And then I'll do another batch, same breading, same seasoned flour, but I'll baste them in that hot pepper oil that you use. I got a recipe. I'll, uh, I need to put a recipe for that up on my website now that oh, we're, yeah. since we're talking about it. Um, but, yeah, it's just a mixture of hot pepper powders, garlic powders. Uh, no, it doesn't have salt. All the, all the seasonings in the breading. The, the pepper oil it's cooking oil you heat it up in a little skillet and get it nice and hot put in your pepper powders garlic powder a little bit of brown sugar and uh get it infused and then take a basting brush and just baste your fried chicken or fried turkey with it and it's so it's people, amazing people listening to this right now that they don't have quite the visual that i've got because we're sitting right now in your kitchen and uh, you actually have a pepper tree growing that is a pepper tree in your in your kitchen that is only here temporarily and i can't wait to get rid of it because it's got aphids but yeah i've got a hot pepper it's called chocolate bootla for anybody who might be a pepper head out there who's listening it's uh it's hotter than the ghost pepper in in layman's terms it's it's not something that you just bite into and eat but i grow those for fun but i'll take them and dehydrate them and grind them up and just put a little bit of that powder in my hot pepper oil that i used to make nashville hot chicken or or nashville hot turkey i want to know what it's like if you ever bring a lady over here and she walks <laughs> in and sees all the deer heads and the turkey fan and then is like what kind of tree is that growing well, there's no here? telling it's like i you know i just really like really like nashville hot chicken so i decided to grow my own peppers to make the oil I, what it boils <laughs> down to is i'm just like growing stuff and like legal stuff yeah for those of y'all sure. here but yeah just tomatoes and peppers okra cucumbers eggplant just having a good old vegetable garden i've done that since before i was hunting 
that's cool. And the thing that I've the thing that I've noticed about uh, what you do is that you kind of seem like more of a uh, like like we're kind of kind of close to civilization, but when you walk into your to your little house here, it kind of feels like it should be out in the middle of the woods and you should just be living off the land and that's kind of that's kind of what it is. is that what like, you're going for? Well, no, I'm just going for just a place to just to live for a few <laughs> years before I actually look at buying a house or something. I'd like to eventually buy a house a little farther out of town and, and, and at least get a couple acres to start. But that's a, that's a ways down the road. Uh, what's cool about this place is is that I'm sitting on a 60-something acres. It, we're, we're technically in city limits here. But we're just outside of the the main like downtown, where it's you go from you literally go from like the business district to pastures and woods, and so it's like you're out in the middle of nowhere, but you're really not. You're just like over the hill from everything convenient. Yeah, like grocery store, gas station. We even got a pure gas station where I get my ethanol free gas like right down the street. <laughs> convenient. I mean, like super convenient and and. uh I mean, I can't complain about the rent either. I mean, for what I get now, the apartment here is, you know, it's it's pretty minimal. I, it's it's a it's a place to stay, but the property, I, I mean, I'll stay here a while until I, you know, find that place I, I want to settle down. But yeah, I can't complain about it. So let's kind of talk about about kind of more about you getting started and really catching <clears throat> that turkey bug. So you started out with a bam- bamboo call. And for anybody who's watched the videos, they know that uh, I can't think of a time that I've ever watched one of your videos where you pulled out a slate or a box call or a, even a mouth call. It's almost always, I'm sure you have them and I'm sure you use oh, them. Oh, yeah, from time you to missed time. out. You missed out on my most recent turkey hunt. It's a fall turkey hunt. Not a lot of people are into that. Yeah. I did pull out a little uh, aluminum pot call that someone sent me that it's called Spring Fever Custom Calls. He sent me some calls to try out. I really like that. It's like a compact rectangular shape, and it, yeah. sound, it sounds, I couldn't believe it, it sounds really good. And I'm going to be carrying that this spring, and then okay. whatever else I feel like, just to mix it up. But the thing that seems like is most consistent is the wingbone call that you use. Yeah. And uh, so tell me about how, how you kind of got started. What made you decide to go that route? Obviously, there's a DIY aspect to it that's fun. That's probably it, really, is the same reason I got into the tube call is I read about it and was like, yeah, this is a call you can make. And then I found out the wing bone was like a supposedly a Native American call. Well, I don't know the history on that, but I read about it and found out how to make one. And so 2013, it was uh, my third season of killing turkeys and the only year that I killed my limit of four birds in four hunts and was done in the first week of season. That's another story. Don't don't <laughs> if you get the chance, don't burn that last tag in the first week. You'll regret it, unless you're ready to travel somewhere else. But <laughs> I made a couple calls from a couple of birds that I killed that year, and uh, one of them I got here in front of me. I, uh, I still hunt with it because it's still somehow in one piece. I've had to reglue it a couple times, but I've got it all. You know, it still works. Blow into that thing real quick, or I guess you don't it's blow, not blowing, well, but. Yeah, it's a suction call. It's like basically like a trumpet that you just kind of kiss the end of it. Yeah. I don't know if this is going to mess up your microphone, but I'll No, it'll be fine.
it'll do yelps and clucks pretty good but anything other than that like i've seen a guy do a purr and it was pretty impressive how he did it but it still wasn't anything like a pot call or a mouth call yeah so it's a simple call i mean a lot of birds you know you get a bird in the right mood you don't need anything more than yelps and clucks so it works pretty well and it sounds a little different it's got a really good ring to it in the woods like the way it echoes through the woods mm-hmm. like we're inside a inside a small room right now so you take it out in the woods it's got a good sound especially from a distance but uh it seems like it makes it a little bit easier to kind of get that that real high note at the top end yeah. and and kind of fall down into the rasp you know <clears throat> i think and it doesn't have much rasp uh it's it's kind of a like an art to get the rasp out of it and you, you got to have your mouth a little bit on the dry side and, and just have a certain technique to it to where it gives it a raspy lower end but normally it's a really clean sounding like mm-hmm. sweet sweet call i guess it's not a raspy nasty like like a triple reed double v cut whatever mouth call right you know like like a, say a woodhaven red wasp is real raspy and real easy to run it's not like that uh, it takes practice to get that good two-note yelp without sounding too squeaky or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, once you get a feel for it, it's it's got a good ring to it. Would you say that that call is, or this style wingbone call, you've probably killed more turkeys with that than than anything, or is it kind of... Yeah, I would say I have just because it's mostly what I've used as my main call, not because it's a better call. It's just kind of one of those things I enjoy using it, and... I mean, I've seen people make much better turkey sounds with a mouth call, but it's one of those things, especially if you got if you got turkeys that are being finicky and not responding to whatever your typical call is. It's a good it's a good call to pull out kind of as a last ditch effort to get a gobble because mm-hmm. it has a different ring to it and it might get a bird to gobble that won't answer something else. Yeah. But then it could go the other way. I'm pretty sure I've had days where I probably could have struck a bird and didn't because I only used the wing bone and probably should have pulled out a crystal call or something else and, you know, take their temperature, see what, what kind of call they like because you get birds that are finicky like that. That's why I'm going to be mixing it up more this year with different calls. I'll carry a couple mouth calls and a pot call in my pocket just to switch it up. Yeah, I mean, it to me, it makes sense, you know, especially when you talk about what you and I do and what a lot of people who are listening to this probably do hunting pressured birds on public land um they've got kind of used to a lot of box call sounds i know every time i go into the woods if there's somebody else around that's all i'm hearing is just loud obnoxious yelps with a box call which is fine i know that kills a lot of turkeys uh, but pulling out something different like that could kind of change the game up a little bit for you yeah and it's i wouldn't even say uh, a box call is that but i've heard some box calls that sound amazing but oh yeah the, the thing is a lot of people don't know how to run them and i mean you you know you can get a yelp out of them and you don't have to sound like a champion caller especially with the right bird you know the right bird you, you call in with just rubbing two rocks together or something <laughs> but um but That's just the new like catman yeah. catman custom call two yeah, rocks <laughs> wait for me to come up with something <laughs> but uh generally speaking though like when you listen to a hen yelping, you want to not just imitate the pitch or the sound of the yelp, but the rhythm, the cadence and everything. You want mm-hmm. 
It's like you're, you're not just making sounds, you're speaking a language, which is pretty simple when, in terms of yelping and clucking. It's not like you got to learn a hard language, but you got to get that rhythm right mm-hmm. of yelping where you're not just like... I see a lot of people run a box call too slow or, or something where it just... I've never heard a turkey talk like that, you know? Yeah. And and if you again, if you get the right bird, you're still going to kill a bird with it. But I think a lot of birds would be like, you know, like that's... It just doesn't get them going because it doesn't sound right. Mm-hmm. And they're not smart birds. They just, they know what they want and they know what they don't want. Yeah. And they can get more picky about that when they get hunted a lot. So. Yeah. I mean, they just, they kind of, I know I've seen a lot of situations where I'll be working a bird. Um, and, and not so much more recently since I started using the boat and getting away from a lot of pressure. Um, but before then, even on hunting clubs and stuff, you know, you'd be working a bird with some real soft clucks and purrs and stuff like that. And that's what he's really hammering to. And then you got somebody else that shows up down the road with a big, loud call, box call or something like that. And it just shuts them up. They just kind of get used to that. Oh, yeah. Like that's and, not and, what they're looking for. <laughs> and this is something I haven't really observed myself because I try to stay away from pressure. But a lot of people who hunt like right among the pressure which sometimes i get caught up in that too can't help it sometimes but uh one thing that a lot of people say is uh when is when somebody's in there early and they got a bird gobbling on the roost or he's gobbling a little bit on the ground or whatever and somebody's driving by on the ridge on the ridge top road or whatever and they stop their truck and get out and blow a crow call the bird quits gobbling or they hit a a pot call and start making clucks and stuff and the bird stops gobbling and they get back in their truck and drive off and then you know 10-15 minutes later the bird starts gobbling again Mm -hmm. it's like really obvious things like that like driving around and calling out of the truck you can strike a bird that way and that's why people still do it and I've done it myself but there's a lot you just never know it's down there in the woods that's just being quiet because it's heard that before and it's been spooked and you know turkey's a paranoid animal so when they get spooked they remember what it was you know they just get funny about it yeah and uh again you can still catch one in the good in the right mood regardless and still kill them but a lot of times they're not in that mood and they're paranoid you pull up at jump out of your truck and hit that box call a few times and don't get a response there might be a guy off in the woods who's been working a turkey that just went quiet you never know yeah yeah so um so, you know, you walk into your place right here, and it's obvious you've killed a lot of turkeys, especially since you just started. You said you killed your first one in 2011? Yep. Was that right? So that wasn't that long ago. And it's obvious, you know, if anybody's watched your videos or um, just walking in here and you see all the fans and the beards and stuff, like you've, you've got to get I threw good away on. most of them, too. Yeah. I, well, I got beards rotting somewhere, but I threw away most of my tail fans. Yeah, I, I mean. for that. <laughs> and, and you... So, I mean, my point is that you've obviously killed a lot of birds in that short amount of time. Was there one thing, was was there like a mentor? Did you have a mentor going into it that kind of taught you some things? No. I mean, I was self-taught, but I did get a lot of advice and stuff from people on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tennessee Deer Hunting Forum, tndeer.com, there's a lot of a lot of people on there that, I used to post, I still post on there pretty regular, but I used to post on there all the time and just asking dumb questions and saying stupid things and learning, you know, (laughs) along the ways and got some advice from people and 
and met met some good friends. I've still got some good friends who I met on that forum, um, and uh, I learned from that kind of thing. But I never had a mentor that like took me hunting. I had my friend who took me that first time in 2010, and uh, he was a fishing buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. He he still lives around here, um, but uh, like I said, he lost that property. It was his yeah. friend's property. They sold it. Anyways, other than that, no, I've just, I got, I've gotten advice and direction from people, um, but mostly just kind of went out there and figured it out, I guess. So it's just a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Oh yeah. That 2011, when that year I killed my first turkey, that Jake, I should have killed three or four. I, I goofed up on some dead gobblers that they should have been dead gobblers. Yeah. I, you know, rookie mistakes that that's. They say experience is the best teacher. I think that's true. You can get a lot of good advice that'll help you in the right direction, but it, you know, going out there and messing up is nothing's going to teach you better than that. Yeah. Because you remember when you mess up. I still think back to birds I could have, should have killed and didn't. I still <laughs> think that year 2011, that same field I killed that Jake in, my first turkey, there was a longbeard by himself roosted in this big old tree on the edge of the field. He pitched down into that field like 60 yards from me. And all I had to do was call him, call him up to the edge of the field, in the woods. He had already answered me, but I couldn't see him, so I went belly crawling to the edge of the field, and he saw me, and ran off. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember that, the I, stuff like that that teaches you, you know when to sit still and when to go after him. That's true, man. I mean, I think anybody who's got any experience in the woods, whether it be deer, turkey, squirrels. The things that teach you the most are usually the ones that that got away, the ones that you yep. didn't kill. That's the ones where you're going to learn, and yep. you're going to kill them next time you're in the same situation. It's important, yep. man. And and thinking back about, you know, back then in twenty or two thousand nine, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. I mean, sure there was the internet and there was a lot of information out there, but looking at it now. I mean, you really have a lot more information, people like yourself putting stuff out on YouTube, um, even Facebook forums and stuff. Like, I think I think a guy has a, a big advantage right now. It, may, it could be considered a disadvantage because there's a lot of people putting advice out there that really don't have any business doing it. But you have a lot of information and a lot of people sharing those same experiences that could make it really easy. But like you said, I mean, the best best teacher is experience yeah i wouldn't even say it would make it really easy i'd just say it gets you started on the right foot yeah so you got an idea of what you're doing but sure then you're still gonna get out there and find out what it's like in the real life because you can listen to advice watch videos and read advice and and paint a picture in your head of how it's supposed to go and a lot of times it does go like that but then you get out in the woods and you have a day where like wait this isn't right what's happening here Mm -hmm. that's just where that's where you start to realize that they're there's always something to be learned, and, and turkeys especially are completely unpredictable sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you can predict them sometimes, and sometimes they'll just do something weird for no apparent reason because they got a mind of their own. And you're, and that's one thing I've realized. The more I learn, the more I realize that sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen because, I mean, it's, there's so many variables. That's why it's so fun. Part of the reason it's so yeah. fun is because – you know, is he going to work in perfect like you hope, or is he going to just dip on you and show up, you know, behind you or something? Mm-hmm. I, I, that, I mean, my very first time calling in the Eastern Bird was, it was that same type of situation where I, I worked him all morning long, 
I sat still. I didn't. I hadn't developed the running gun mentality. I was like, oh, there's a bird goblin. I better sit my butt down. And I ended up calling him in. Yeah. And he was and in front of me. Some and that's what one of the tough things is like. Do you wait him out or do you go after him? Because sometimes they'll lose interest and sometimes they'll show up like an hour later, quiet. Yeah. And and you just never know for sure. If so you if you if you're in that situation, uh, talking to a guy that's killed a lot of birds like yourself, if you're in that type of situation, what do you tend to do? Are you a go getter or do you kind of just sit still? It it kind of just depends on the situation. You know, and it's a tough one. You end up second guessing yourself and second guessing and getting uh, indecisive never seems to help. Let me rephrase you, this. Which one's worked out the best for you? Which one's killed the most turkeys? Waiting them out or going after them? Yeah. That, I don't know. I, it's <laughs> like, I really don't know. It's it, kind of all. Like, I killed, I killed a bird last year that was a field bird strutting with uh, five or six hands. And they were in and out. Sometimes he'd have three hens. Sometimes he'd have six hens or whatever. They were all, you know, just hanging out in the field, feeding around. And he was strutting around. And I worked him. I was in this little thicket, fence row type thicket. It was a little bit thicker than, a little bigger than the fence row. And uh, I got, you know, I had him kind of come a little closer and check me out, but never committed. And I had hens kind of, I had a hen check me out. But, you know, just typical field bird with hands. He's hand up. He's he's not going to come run into your call. He's He's got the ladies to himself. And, and then around 1230, I've been hunting him for like three hours. And around 1230, his hands just kind of disappeared into the brush and they were gone. And he came by on the other side of that fence row in the next field over, like half, half strutting, looking for me. And then he just walked out of sight. And I was like, well... And this is where, you know, do you wait him out or do you go after him? And I was going to go after him because he had already checked me out and left. So typically, you know, if he's gone, I was going to crawl out to the field and see which way he was headed and try to get ahead of him and try another setup, cut him off and try to call him in. So that was my plan. Luckily, I was a little slow in getting moving because, you know, I just want to give it a few minutes. Always give it at least a few minutes if you're not sure at least because you never know and sure enough i was getting ready to move and i thought i heard something but you know it's one of those things where it could be a little tiny songbird or something or maybe you didn't hear anything at all but i thought i heard something in the leaves and i was like well let me just sit here for just another minute because i'm not sure if i heard anything or not sure enough that bird like 10 minutes later he came back looking for me after he left (laughs) and instead of walking the edge of that field he stepped down into the thicket where i was hiding and walked right up to 10 yards and i blasted him and if I had got up to go look for him any sooner, I would have never known he was coming back, and probably mm-hmm. he, I would have popped my head out, and he would have been right there looking at me and would have run off. So you just never know. I mean, yeah. he could have lost interest and gone off across the field, and I would have had to try another setup on him. But yeah. for whatever reason, that bird was like, you know what? I don't have my ladies anymore. I, I know there's one hiding in those bushes. I mm-hmm. need to go back and get some. And it, it cost him cost him pretty dearly yeah that's like i said one of those things you just sometimes you just get lucky you know yeah because you're not wrong to go after him but you're not wrong to wait him out he's he's gonna do what he wants Mm -hmm. turkey's gonna do what a turkey wants to do always and and, uh, a lot of people mistake that for them being smart i and compared to a deer or other critters especially like coyotes and stuff Mm -hmm. turkey's not that smart they just have a mind of their own 
they do what they feel like doing, whether you understand it or not. It doesn't mean they're smart. It just means they're going to do what they want to do. Yeah. And and that's what makes them tough to hunt sometimes. Yeah, it, it does. So thinking about that, what would you say is your um, the tactic that's worth, worked the most for you? Like if like things that are consistently kind of getting in the mind of Catman, what is what is your brain do in certain certain situations i guess in a nutshell what's your i guess what i started with what's your main tactic that you go with um i guess just like your typical old school turkey hunting you find a bird that's gobbling you know crow call or yelp or cut or whatever it may be maybe he gobbles on his own uh you know they say typically midday birds are the most killable and that's usually the case find a bird that's gobbling and hopefully you got an idea of the lay of the land so you can set up try to get you know as close as you can without bumping him i like to get within if you're within 100 yards that's that's perfect but you, depending on the terrain you can't always do that mm-hmm. but you got to have something between you and the bird whether it's a little thicket or a small hill or a big ridge you got to make him come in where he can't see your location until he's in shotgun range otherwise you you greatly increase the chance of him getting hung up because they you know they gobble to call him the hen to them you know mm-hmm. and they only come in looking when they get impatient they want they want to find that hen because they're not going to wait for her to come in but if they get to the top of the ridge and you're set up down in the hollow and they strut around because they think a hen's down there and they can look down they don't see the hen so they don't have anything else to you know to go to and they'll just strut around and wait for that hand to come to them and that's when when a bird gets hung up so i try to get get tight to them and and set up with something between me and the bird some kind of cover terrain and then when they answer a couple times just go quiet for a while and then whether or not i call again depends on how the bird is acting the thing that sticks out to me in that everything that you just said was that kind of that last part was the um get get him to gobble a couple times and then just go quiet yeah, ideally you want to go quiet on them, but some some birds like to be talked to, and some some of them will get funny if you call too much. Uh, it just depends on how they're acting, I guess. And, yeah, and that's another thing you kind of got to take a gamble at. Yeah, but uh, it's funny. Like I would say, err on the side of calling less once you've got a bird responding. If you've called two or three times and he cuts you off every time. You better be sitting down in a good spot waiting for him because he's probably going to come in, whether it be in five minutes or 45 minutes, he's probably going to come and check you out. Yeah. It's so funny uh, just thinking about it. Like, just even the difference in podcasting about deer hunting and podcasting about turkey hunting, there's not like a whole lot of concrete answers that you can give they're, they're no, and that's hunting that's why they call yeah. it hunting not killing you're not right. gonna go out there and guaranteed kill a turkey every time sure but there's there are some consistent things about deer hunting that make it to where we can we can talk about it i can say hey most of the time you know dan and fault talks about it all the time about buck bedding and where deer are going to bed you can put those consistent things on deer and a lot of times with turkeys i wouldn't even say that about these deer here in tennessee with all the no and with in and in the south even in general we got bedding areas meaning thick cover where mm-hmm. deer typically feel safe and we've got a lot of them and they're everywhere and deer may be in any part you may have 40 acres of of thicket you may have 100 acres of thicket and yeah they, they may bed on one side or another or in the dead middle and 
yeah, that's a whole other discussion. But yeah. yeah, but I see what you're saying about consistency. Like certain places, certain edges, and and transitions where deer just like to travel all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can, and you can do that with turkeys too. But I guess turkeys have got a little bit more of an unpredictable edge to them. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit less patternable. Unless you're in a state where baiting is legal, then they pretty much show up at the golden acorns every day. Yeah. We start, I've seen uh, turkeys with people in neighborhoods and stuff feed them in their backyard. They're like, they come off the roost, they run to the corn, it's like every day. That's how it was in Texas. We would. uh, Yeah, I I bet. We'd see them all the time at our deer feeders and stuff. But I'll tell you one thing, I've killed a lot of Rios doing this in in West Texas was um, not hunting them over corn, but hunting over a windmill like a water trough at a windmill. Really? And all the time during the afternoons, just and on this specific lease that we had, we had a windmill on both sides of it. It was a lot of land, and there was a windmill on both ends of the property and with a big water trough. And if you just set up, just sit there all day. Deer hunt them. All the turkeys are going to eventually end up at that, and they'll hang out there, dude, and they'll strut, and they'll – I mean, it's kind of like what we have here – um, in Tennessee, is you got big ag fields and stuff like that. It's kind of the same. Like that's a uh, cattle farms. If you got silos or not silos, well, there's a farm mm-hmm. I used to hunt that had had silos. And mm-hmm. if you got the grain troughs or just certain areas where the cows get fed, where they where there's food for for the uh, or even horse farms, if they throw out uh, sweet feed or something, mm-hmm. you can have turkeys on a pattern. Well, they where they're just dumb, like almost tame, not tame, but you know not exactly hunted turkeys yeah. that are just easy to kill on a pattern. Uh, that's that's the thing. If you got turkeys on a pattern, you can kill one easy. And, and you'll see people say, oh, turkeys are easy to kill because, you know, they've got a spot where they're easy to kill. And it just depends on the property, really. But uh, I think the fun of turkey hunting is calling in a gobbler. And yeah, a lot of people, I mean, I could go and sit on places and deer hunt them and I have done it. I'm not against doing it. You know, it's kind of like a last-ditch effort for me because I don't enjoy it very much. I enjoy, like, you know, striking a bird up and, and finding a setup and calling him in, have him come looking for me. And that's that's why I don't use decoys because having that bird looking for me just gets the heart pumping like yeah. nothing else. Like, it, it's not like a deer where you're up in a tree. If Even if you got a good buck walking by, I mean, yeah, it's cool to have a big buck close by but he's not looking for you um, unless you rattled him in or something if you set up on a transition and a buck comes by in november looking for a doe Mm -hmm. he doesn't have a clue in your world you're there but if you call to a lone gobbler on a hardwood ridge and he comes up over that crest of that ridge at 25 yards and his red white and blue head is popping up and he's going in and out of strut and he's you can see his eyes they like cut through your soul the way they look (laughs) and if you blink an eye at the wrong time or twitch your head or reach for your reach for your gun or something and even if you don't move at all if it's one of those real skittish birds you know and they don't see what they want to see they get suspicious Mm -hmm. and they all they got to do is something's not right and they tuck their wings you can tell by their body language when they're fixing to get out of there Mm -hmm. there's something like something about that that you don't get with deer hunting yeah i agree It, it was it was what hooked me into the like I like I said, like I hunted a lot of turkeys in Texas, and it just didn't do for me what these Easterns do for me oh, about yeah. calling them in and and you know seeing them like you're saying crest over 
over that ridge, and it's like, oh my gosh! There, and it's there not he just is. that he's he happened to be there, that because you're in the right place. It's he's coming looking for you. Mm-hmm. That's what's so fun about it. And when you hear him drumming before you see him, and you know he's he's fired up because he's strutting, and you can hear that drum, but you can't see him yet, and you're like, oh shoot, get my gun pointed the right way. It's hard to pinpoint that drumming sound sometimes when you can't see him. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell where it's coming from. Yeah. Uh, but that's just part of the fun. It's, so there's nothing like it. Are there any consistent things for you like that? Like um, I give you an example of, you know, like a like a real gradual hillside going down to water or something like that. Good roosting spots. Are there some consistency that you're always looking for? Like if you're looking at a map for turkeys in a new area, what is it that you're looking for? It's hard to beat, you know, water source and and uh diversity too um with whatever's growing out there you know you got hardwoods you got pines you got cedar thickets you got clear cuts you got crp fields crop fields and pastures you got a mix of two or three different things say hardwoods to say you got a hardwood ridge on one side and it's all ridges and hollows then drops off down to a creek and then on the other side of the creek is a creek bottom and it's all fields that's just like kind of like the ideal turkey. You're going to find turkeys somewhere around there because they got the flat ground. They got the fields to strut around in, fields to feed in. They've got the ridges uh, for, you know, in the fall. They got acorns and stuff. They'll probably be there year-round in that type of habitat. And they like to roost on water. I don't know why. I've heard people say because they can they can uh, poop in the water and coyotes can't find them or something. But I don't know if I believe that. Uh, but for whatever reason, I like to poop in water too. I mean, but what, you so do, I can understand. You, you do you, man. <laughs> you don't well, like pooping in water? Well, yeah, I guess technically. Now, now that now that I think of it, yeah, I guess we all do. Um, I was thinking creek water here. So, oh, okay. No, so, well, it's just any kind of water, mostly toilet bowl water. Ideally, yeah. ideally is what I like to poop in. But, so I get it. But anyway, regardless of that, uh, I don't know why it is, but turkeys like to roost on the edge of water and. Uh, when you got any kind of terrain like a ridge, they like to come in from the top and, and pitch off into trees that are down lower so they don't have to fly up as high. Like, yeah. they might fly up 10 feet in elevation, but they're 50 feet up in a tree because they jumped off the top of the ridge. That They're lazy. They're like chickens. They can fly perfectly well, but they don't like to. And they, that's part of, I think, part of the reason why they'll get hung up on a on a woven wire fence. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want to jump over it. They don't. They're dumb. I mean, like I said earlier, they're dumb birds. A gobbler will get hung up on a woven wire fence because he doesn't either either doesn't want to or doesn't know how to cross it. Yeah. And and they're not like they're not flying oriented birds, like some like some other birds. So like they fly when they have to. They fly when they're scared. They they fly you know up and down to roost every day. But they like to keep it simple and you know, jump off that ridge onto a tree limb. You know, less flying is better for a turkey. Yeah, not a whole lot of vertical. They can just kind of yeah, but, glide and down. Yeah, now they'll glide, yeah. Like I was saying, if you got a ridge on one side and a creek and then the bottoms with the fields on the other side, what they'll do a lot and what I see them do a lot, a lot of places I hunt, they'll roost up on those ridges. On the, They'll roost on the hillside because they flew off the ridge. In the morning, a lot of birds, sometimes they'll pitch down into the woods the same way they flew up, but a lot of times they'll they'll just take off and coast down across the creek into that into that field or those fields or whatever Mm -hmm. and they'll coast out and they'll just do their thing out there 
at some point during the day they're going to fly back across the creek and and feed up into the hardwoods again and then they'll go back to roost that's what i see them do a lot and that's just the type of habitat that i usually hunt so when you mentioned cedar thickets or just any kind of thicket do you find a lot of turkeys in that type of habitat like real thick stuff they will go in thickets they'll definitely get into some thick stuff but i think they the thicker it is the less likely you are to find birds in it unless it's a nesting hen Mm -hmm. which is usually near the edge Mm -hmm. Um, cedar thickets down at a turkey's level are not thick right they're open they're only thick when you stand up at your head height you know Mm -hmm. that's i like deer hunting in them because you got to sit down on the ground to deer hunt a cedar thicket because if you even stand up you can't see half as far Mm -hmm. but for turkeys yeah it's wide open and they like to move through those and it's quiet and they can see a long ways so yeah i've seen turkeys in cedar thickets quite a bit do you see them using i think we've kind of established and most people know this that turkeys aren't the the smartest animal in the woods do you feel like they use thick areas for cover I think any wild animal uses thickets for cover. Yeah. Like when they need it. Yeah. Now turkeys like turkeys aren't always trying to hide like a deer. Mm-hmm. If they're scared, I've jumped them out of thickets after jumping them like this was two years ago. I bumped a couple toms out of a field, just walked around the corner and they took off running. And I knew where they ran. They ran into a thicket. It was a cedar thicket mixed with privet thicket, which is privet's terrible thick. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm going to try to find them, of course, because that's the only birds I had seen in a while. And I caught up to them. I ended up bumping them, and I did not see them until they were about five yards away. They jumped up and ran off in some thick undergrowth. They were just, they went into that thicket to hide, and they stayed there until I bumped them again, and they didn't move until I was almost on top of them. Hmm. So, yeah, they'll hide in thickets, but I don't think they like to spend a lot of time otherwise in thickets. It's not necessarily a spot where you would be like, yeah, I'm going to set up right here no, and wait for and them to come getting, out of the thicket. And not to mention getting a shot at a bird, a clean shot at a bird in a thicket's tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're shooting a shotgun, but you can still bust that pattern up pretty bad just by shooting through too much brush. You can shoot through a little bit of brush, but yeah, I'm talking thickets where you can't even get a clear shot. They'll go to hide in those, and sometimes they might feed through them if they just so happen to, like going back to turkeys doing what they want. But I think they generally gravitate towards a little bit more open stuff. Sometimes wide open might be a wide open field, might be wide open hardwoods, might be, you know, semi-thick hardwoods, but the thickest stuff they usually stay out of unless they're trying to hide, from what I've seen. That's, yeah. just, that's just my experience. No, I think that's, that's a lot of my experience as well. And, uh, you know, I, I tend to try to, stay if i see something that's especially on a turkey's level if it's really thick i kind of try to stay out of it i don't it doesn't really yeah because even if even if you do find a bird in there good luck shooting it right exactly so if they're if they're in there you're better off waiting them out or going to find another bird mm -hmm. if you like to deer hunt turkeys like we were saying is boring or whatever some people don't care to sit there and you know if that's if that's what you want to do and you've got birds on a pattern and wait for them to come out of the thicket. But. Listen, dude, I'm all about however I can easily kill that turkey. <laughs> I'm yeah, all about I mean, every if, advantage if, I can get. So. If it's a bird, if it's a bird I've been after and I I'll wait him out. I did that last year. I hunted a bird for two days and, and killed him the second afternoon by waiting him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, being in the right spot. I knew I was in the right spot. Like yeah. I knew I knew I was gonna kill him. He had one hand, sure enough I killed him. But uh if it's not something like that 
you know, where I'm trying to kill a specific bird, which doesn't happen very often. If I know there's a bird in there, but it's not talking and he's in a thicket, I'm not going to wait him out. I'm going to go try to find the bird that's goblin. Yeah. Because I want to I want to call one in. Yeah. So it just depends on the bird, depends on the situation. So kind of speaking of about situations and being in different situations, last year you hunt Tennessee a lot, and a lot of Tennessee is going to be more fields. You're going to have more ag. You're going to have a little bit flatter land. Depends on yeah, it depends on the part. Tennessee's got such a wide yeah. range of of terrain and habitat. It does, depending on where you're at in the from, state. From the Smoky Mountains to the Mississippi River bottoms, there's literally everything here. Do you so last year you went to Alabama? Yeah. And ended up killing a bird in Alabama pretty quick. It seemed like first you- morning got lucky. Uh, there was a few birds out in there. Um and I found I that bird that I killed stayed on the same bench. He was on a bench on a on a point. It was like the point flattened out in one spot. And he kind of stayed there all morning. You know, he got quiet after he flew down. I don't know if he had hens or if he just got quiet for whatever reason. But then I got him fired up again later in the morning and ended up killing him. And the other birds, I don't know what happened to them. Probably most of them had hens. Yeah. It was early season. I, you know, it was Yeah, harder. it was the first week of season, wasn't it? Yes, well, second. It was second week of second season, week. but still early, and uh, I think most of the birds probably still, you know, had groups of hens and stuff. It was it's tough early season to find a lonely bird like that, but I got lucky and just found a lonely bird. And I actually called him in twice. He uh, he kind of, I don't know if he saw me, but he putted a couple times close, and then he and a while later. He gobbled about 100 yards out. So I was like, oh, he's still interested. So I called him in a second time, and that time I saw him and shot him. Yeah. So that that terrain that you're in is a lot – it's really hilly, kind of unforgiving. Oh, hilly. we got a lot – it was a lot like what we have here in parts of Middle Tennessee. Now, where I live is like rolling hills, but if you go anywhere – you go north of Nashville, east, west, south, you get into the, what's called the Highland Rim, which is just hardwood ridge and hollow habitat. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get into some areas that have planted pines, but a lot of it's just hardwoods, which is what I like. And uh, down there in Alabama, it was a lot of the same thing, but a little steeper in places. There was some more, you know, I don't like to get into specifics on where I hunt public just to try to yeah, no, you know, yeah, keep it. For sure. Just try to keep it on the low down for the sake of people who hunt there. But it was it had some steeper terrain than what I'm used to hunting. But where I stayed at was just typical of where i usually would hunt here okay so it wasn't it wasn't a it was no different than the terrain that i'm used to hunting there's a few more pine trees like wild growing pine trees yeah. like around here you don't see many pines unless they were planted uh, right but down there they seem to just be kind of growing like mixed in with the hardwoods mm-hmm. like they didn't seem to like to be planted yeah there's a lot of that other in yeah other than that it was basically the same thing yeah. same exact thing of, of as hunting the highland rim here in tennessee do you do you find it easier to kill a bird in an area with a lot of ag versus killing birds in kind of the hardwoods, rolling hills, kind of what you're talking about? Mm, I don't know. I think you see more birds in ag, but yeah. you, then you get field bird syndrome. You get birds that stay out in the field, have absolutely no pattern to which way they're going to move next. You try to cut them off, and they go a different way. You try to cut them off again, they go a different way. 
And sometimes if they're really bad, like some, some birds get on the field so bad that they will stay out of shotgun range from the field edge all day until they fly up to roost. And then I had one, and it was not even a big field, but I had some birds several years back that I stayed with all afternoon through a thunderstorm and everything. <laughs> the closest I had them was like 45 yards, and my gun didn't pattern that good, and so I didn't shoot them. But then they never got closer than that. And then right at sunset, the hens started flying up to roost, and they're about 60 yards out. And the tom takes off and flies up and lands in a tree 30 yards to my left. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, with the with the fields, you can get into field birds that are fun to watch and kind of addicting to hunt because you always know they're there, and you always think maybe, maybe I'm going to kill them. But it can be just as tough as any other hunt. In the, like, they'll do what they want. They got their hands. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm hunting without decoys, so you don't have that factor where you might have some interaction with a decoy. Uh, if you if you hunt like me where you don't carry a bunch of extra stuff, I don't like – I, I got to carry the camera as it is. Uh, I don't want to carry a decoy or anything else if I don't have to. Um, if you're hunting just with you and your gun and your calls, uh, field birds can be really tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a ton of a ton of experience. I'll get some this year because uh, I've got some private land that I can hunt, but I don't have a ton but of experience they, hunting they can birds. be It can be the shortest, easiest hunt you've ever had, too, just depending on where the birds go, you know. I yeah. mean, they'll use every part of that field at some point. If, they're, if they like to spend a lot of time in the field, they're going to they're gonna cover that entire field at some point. Yeah. So if you stick with field birds, you'll eventually kill one. Assuming you're not using decoys, you'll eventually be in the right place. Or maybe like last year with that bird that I called in after his hens left him, you might have something like that happen. But a lot of these field birds don't really lose their hens in the early season, you know. They've mm-hmm. always got something. Do you normally, when you're hunting fields like that, do you normally, if you've got a gobbler or two or however many in a field, are you going to stick with that group all day just because you know he's there? Or are you going to, is there I, ever a time when you move on? Uh, there's times when I should move on, but it's addictive when you got a bird out there strutting and, and you just think maybe just wait a little longer, they're going to come right by at 30 yards. Um, it just depends. If nothing else is happening, I'll stick with them. But if a bird fires up on a ridge, you know, behind me or something, if I got a lonely bird that's gobbling his head off on his own up in the hardwoods, I'm going to leave those field birds and go after that gobbling bird for sure every yeah. time. So it just depends. Yeah. Depends on what I've got. Even if, let's say I had a bird goblin the day before at another spot down the road, and I think he's killable in the right mood. Uh, so say I'm working field birds and they're just getting frustrating, then maybe I'll leave and go hunt that other bird from yesterday because he's probably still going to be there. When you say killable, what are you what are you meaning? What are you looking for when you when you say, I think he might be killable? Meaning he's he's gobbling on his own or he's answering calls and and he's in a spot where i can set up good and probably doesn't have any hands like a satellite bird like yeah like not a dominant bird usually the dominant birds have got the hands um yeah i mean it just depends and the reason i ask i've heard a lot of people say that uh kind of nonchalantly like you did I i thought he was killable so yeah the killable meaning he's gonna do what you want you set up and call him in that's what i mean Okay, yeah, that makes no. sense. I mean, if I think it's a- any bird's killable if you're in the right place at the right, right time, like whether it's lucky or not, or whether it's skill or luck, any bird's killable if you're sitting within shotgun range and he walks by. But 
By killable, I mean like one you can set up and call in. Yeah, and that or, or even let's go further than that. Say he's killable, and if, uh, say a field bird's killable if they're on a pattern of roosting on the same corner of the field every day, and you set up by the roost, and you can kill him when he comes off the roost because you've seen the same pattern. I mean that would be a killable bird. Yeah. But typically, when I say a killable tom, I mean a tom that's receptive to calling. He's probably going to come check me out, and I can actually set up on him. Yeah. That do you when you are you talking more about gobbling on his own? Because I, I know in my experience, especially hunting big woods, public land areas, I'll have the woods will just be fired up with gobbles all over the place before fly down. Are you talking more about yeah, say, afterwards? Yeah. They're all going to, I mean, I say they all. A lot of them is going to gobble, you know, first thing in the morning. I don't know if this is true, but I remember reading one time that when the sun rises, they they got a testosterone surge or something, and it makes them gobble like crazy. I don't know if that's true, but they, regardless, they like to gobble when the sun comes starts to come up. It's, you know, we all know that. They like to gobble on the roost. And, and, and some days more than others. Some days are dead quiet. Some days every tom gobbles. But, yeah, I mean, hearing gobbles on the roost for me just gives me locations where I know turkeys are roosted and where they're likely to be at some point in the day, whether it be in the evening or maybe they're just knowing that bird's there. Yeah. Just like, say, there's five birds gobbling in different directions. If I work on one bird that's really hot and it doesn't work out, I know where four other birds were and the general area where they might or might not still be, so at least have something to go off of. Yeah. So the more roost gobbles I can hear, the better. But, yeah, when, when I'm looking for a killable bird, if I'm not calling them straight off the roost, which actually doesn't happen that often, you know, I'm looking for a bird that gets interested later in the morning. And whether I blow a call and he gobbles or he starts gobbling on his own, it's usually later in the morning, sometimes even into the afternoon. Mm-hmm. I've killed one at 3 in the afternoon that was hanging out in a little patch of woods, and it was kind of a cedar thicket mixed with hardwood creek bottom, and... He was in there all afternoon. Me and a friend had worked on him earlier in the day, and he kind of went quiet, and we heard what sounded like somebody else using a box call that didn't sound very good, like we were talking about earlier. <laughs> but uh, I came back later. My friend had to leave. I came. I took a nap in my truck and woke up around 2, 2.30 and got out of the truck and blew a call, and he was still up in the same patch of woods, and he gobbled back at me. So I got my stuff, and I went up in there and ended up killing him. Huh. He was by himself, and, like, he wasn't quite in the right mood earlier. Maybe the other hunter spooked him, or maybe he lost interest. But then when I came back a few hours later, like 3 in the afternoon, he was ready. I actually had him at 15 yards strutting to my right, and my gun was facing to the left. I had to let him walk and, <laughs> and do a big semicircle on him and set up again in a cedar thicket. And... He was just over the crest of the ridge, and all I could see was his head pop up every five seconds to check me out, you know? Yeah. All I saw was, like, the top of his neck when I shot him. But I knew it was a tom because I'd been working this bird for a while. Right. His big red, red, white, and blue head popped up like a periscope, and I shot him. (laughs) I shot him right at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. That seems to be pretty consistent on people who really kill a lot of birds. And I haven't killed just a ton of Easterns, but... The ones that I have have all been late morning into the afternoon. It seems yeah, to be. They say, you know, 10 to 2 is the best time to find a lonely bird. They're, I mean, generally, yeah. I mean, 
midday is a good time but it could be 9 30 in the morning it could be two three in the afternoon i killed one right at sunset and there was a bunch of hens going up to roost right across the power line from him but i guess they left him and they went to roost separately because i struck him up and called him in that was 2013 so i mean i think we've covered a lot of good ground here and some of it's you know, more in-depth. Some of it is a little bit elementary. A lot of guys listening to this, this may be, I've had a lot of people message me and talk to me about this being their first year really going after turkeys. And so I think a lot of the information that we talked about might be something that you learned early on, but it helps. Yeah. It's tough for me to give advice to like, like quick advice to someone who's Uh just getting started. If you give all the advice you should, it's overwhelming to someone starting out. Sure. If if you don't, you know, if you don't give enough advice, I mean, it's just tough because there's so many variables. I would just say, you know, like, how are you trying to hunt them? Are you trying to deer hunt them? Are you trying to call one in? Just learn how to yelp and cluck. When you, when you get a bird goblin, try to get close to him without him seeing you. Try to sit up where he can't see you until he's in shotgun range, and try calling him in. Don't call don't call too much. If he's answering you, go quiet. Just simple stuff like that is the kind of advice I'd give. Yeah. And and then just let the rest like go go off of experience. You you got to learn yourself. You got to get out there and mess up to really learn. Yeah. Like I true. I could give advice all day, but the more advice I give, the more overwhelming it's going to get. So, I think the best thing, like you were saying, uh, did I have a mentor? I didn't. But if somebody can get a mentor, where they can say, "Hey, I went out and this happened. What's up with that?" And then somebody can be like, "Well, you know." Maybe you weren't set up in the right place, or maybe that bird was just being a weird bird, or or you did this wrong. You should have done that. You know, it'd be good to have a mentor. But then yeah. again, I mean, I didn't, so I had I just learned by going out there. And honestly, that's you can't replace time in the woods. The more you get after him, and the more you try, and and remember, just because you learned a bunch doesn't mean you've learned as much as you need to. There's always something to learn. There's always something I have to learn. I've got a lot to learn. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people think I'm Same. like, I'm sure some people think that I'm like some great turkey hunter, but I'm not. I just there's always something to learn. Yeah. Like if you if you lose that mentality, then then you just never get any better. So you always gotta keep an open mind, but remember the things you have learned, and uh, you know, just kind of use kind of go with your gut. Sometimes I've noticed uh, if you start second guessing yourself or or uh you know overthinking how or where to hunt it doesn't seem to help yeah i don't know why but anytime i go in the woods overthinking about something never seems to help if i just go into the woods kind of with an open mind and see how it goes and just play it out how it plays out you know it's usually how it works out yeah more often than not and sometimes it doesn't you might get discouraged well i didn't think it through enough and it didn't work well no it didn't work because it doesn't always work yeah sometimes you just gotta go out there and i don't know i don't really know a better way to describe it yeah that's it hopefully i'm making yeah yeah just experience and and the only way to get experience is to be in the woods so just get after them and don't be afraid to ask for advice you know you may get a especially if you're on social media or something you get a lot of different advice some of it really good some of it really not good yeah but at least ask for advice and pick through it and see you know like yeah you find consistency yeah, with that and, and just just don't take everyone's advice like it's like it's the law you know just listen to it and say all right well they said this they said that 
and then take you take what you got out into the woods and find out what works. See if it works. All right, let's do a speed round. I wanna. I, I think a lot of people are gonna be interested in in your choice of equipment and things like that. You don't have to. Uh, <laughs> That's you don't funny. have to uh, go into depth, but I'm just gonna ask you a few I'm, questions and you answer. I'm not gonna go into depth, but I'll answer. Okay. All right. Uh, what's your favorite? What gun do you shoot? Eight seventy Super Mag Turkey Edition. With Perfect. The thumb hole stock. All right. I don't know if that's what it's called, but it's got the thumb through stock. Yeah, it's the same gun I've got this year, just about. Um, I, I bought it used, got a good deal on it. I like it, good gun. What choke? Uh, it's a True Glow gobble stopper, but I've got a few chokes I'm going to be trying out here in the next couple of weeks and see if I can get a different pattern. I'm just going to, just to mess around with stuff. All right. What's your confident range with that setup? Uh, Forty tops. I like the more open pattern. I'm not a very good shot. I miss a lot of birds. We don't Uh, have to talk about that. Yeah, well, it had to be brought up at some point. I like a more open pattern. I don't care to shoot a bird at 50, 60 yards. I just don't care about it. I like them closer, and I want to have a good spread on my pattern. All right, random question. Was it super embarrassing when you missed a bird in front of Shane Simpson? I mean, it's embarrassing every time I miss a bird. No more or less. I just felt bad that I didn't give him – the 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 shot well he had a gun he had a shotgun because he was coming I, from out of state <laughs> he he just kind of he kind of was like yeah all right i'm gonna sit back here and film you so i was like all right i'm shooting so i wasn't gonna argue with that but on hindsight you know i should have let him i should have let him shoot because he came down to tennessee and paid for the non-resident license and you know we could have doubled up or at least he could have killed one and i could have missed one at least there would have been a dead bird right sure that's my i'm not embarrassed i just regret him not shooting one all right what i'm going to ask you kind of two questions and it's going to be the same one so that makes perfect sense yeah (laughs) yeah okay so tss yes or no never tried it uh the what i've heard of the specs on it sounds amazing as much as i miss i don't want to spend the kind of money on shells just to miss and it's not because of the pattern that i'm missing it's because i'm straight up jerking the gun and missing completely so most of the time there's a couple birds that i misjudge yardage where tss would have killed them but most of the birds i miss i just clean miss and i don't need uh tss to uh increase my bill on ammo but with that said i will probably try it at some point just because i want to try it at some point all right so haven't used it yet, but plan to at some point. All right. What do you currently use? What load do you currently use? Winchester Double X, three-inch shells. Uh, my gun will take three-and-a-halves. Uh, with my tendency to jerk the trigger, I uh, don't need a three-and-a-half to make the recoil even worse because that will probably make me flinch even worse. Uh, not that I can't handle a three-inch recoil. It's just that I'm not very good when a gobbler's in front of me. I shoot paper fine, but... Double X used to be called Winchester Supreme. They changed the branding. It was the same exact shell. I've got a video several years ago where I compared the two, and they're the same thing. So if you shoot an old Winchester Supreme black shell, it's the same thing as Winchester Double X right now. It's just a good old cheap turkey load that kills a turkey. If you shoot straight and you're not shooting past 40 yards, you know, it's a killing freaking shell. What size shot is in that? Five or six. Okay. Usually six if I want more pellets and five if I want more knockdown. Uh, I don't really have a preference. It's whatever box I got. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Moving on. More about your gun. Beads, fiber optics, red dot, or scope? 
I'm never going to use a scope, but I do have a red dot. It looks like a scope. I've had some comments. People say, oh, scopes aren't for shotguns. I don't have a scope. It just looks like it. It's a red dot. Is um, it the True Glow? <clears throat> yeah. Yes, it is the Gobble Stopper. Okay. So it's True a, I love the sight, honestly. I never thought I would put a red dot. I missed so many turkeys with a bead that I said, you know what? I need to have a like a open like an iron sight style. So I got a ghost ring iron sight that kind of it's got the orange ring and the bead on the front, the orange bead on the front, and uh, great sight. Still missed turkeys with it. So then I switched to the red dot. You know, you don't have to have your shoulder on the gun perfect because the red dot always goes where your shot's going to go, and it does. But I still miss with it. So that's where I realized it has nothing to do with the sight. I just, when a gobbler's standing there 20 yards looking for me, it's something about it. I just can't keep it together the way I can when I'm shooting paper. But I'll hopefully get over that eventually. You know, with time, I'll get, I'll figure something out. Experience. But, but I will say I do like the red dot. Okay. All right. Woods birds or fields bird? Field birds. Um, depends if I want good video or good hunting. This is a yes or no, or one or the other. Oh, wood birds. Okay. All right. Uh, flat or hills? Hills. I hate flatland. That's surprising. Why do you hate flat? I want to go kind of more in depth. Why do you hate flatland? Boring. Flat. There's no terrain. It's just flat for miles. Like, I shouldn't say I hate it. I like to hunt it sometimes. I've hunted West Tennessee a couple times. I've hunted South Georgia a couple times. It's a cool experience. I like to get out there for a change of scenery, hunt the flatland. But, no, I like the hills. I grew up in the in the rolling hills. Ridges, hollows, rolling terrain, uh, that's what I like. All right. If you could only do one, turkeys, catfish, or deer? Just shoot me. There's no, I'm not, there's no answer to that. You can't pick just one? No. You just rather die? It, I mean, I could, I, I, as much as I would hate to, I'd eliminate catfish and choose between turkey and deer, but then I still couldn't. All right. I, I would, I mean, if I had to, like realistically i probably would just i don't know there's no answer to that see during right now i say turkeys but come september i would say deer so there's no answer yeah right now i'll say because of the time of year i'll say turkeys okay but I'll that's that. that's a time of year thing like, there's really no there's no right answer for but that. if you had to drop one it'd be catfish yeah and i really wouldn't want to do that and as, long as, as long as i could fish for other fish because that's not the only fish i like to catch i mean I'd fish for, for smallmouth and walleye and carp and whatever else. You should change your name depending on the season. So deer man, deer in their so deer sad, season. So Saddlepalooza, I couldn't have a name because pig man's already taken. Oh, wait, I didn't <laughs> kill any pigs this year. So yeah, you were still cat man. Just be sad, <laughs> gator, gator man. Gator man, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> um, all right, where did the name cat man come from? Uh, when I was like 12, I was fishing in the creek. Yeah, I started fishing when I was 11. Started catching channel cats when I was 12 and got on this forum uh, and had to make a username as a catfishing forum. And so I'd seen a few people go by the name Catman, so I figured that would be my name. And I had to put my birth date at the end because Catman was already taken. So Catman529 has been my internet username on almost everything since I was 12. And it just stuck. That's the only reason. So May 29th is your birthday? Yeah. That's an easy way to remember it. Everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's my birth date, and I didn't choose it as a nickname. Nobody chose it. I mean, it was just that's what I go by because that's my my internet name since I was a kid. Uh, no other reason, really. That's that's pretty cool. And so, I like it. 
and I still like fishing for catfish today. They're a little bigger now than they were back when I fished in the creek all the time. But those creek fish, I still fish that same spot pretty regular. I like it. All right, last question. Do you have one bucket list state that you want to turkey hunt, and what is it? Um, not a state in particular. Just, I guess, the more I, the more time I can find to get away and hunt other states, the better. I, I wouldn't say I really have a particular state. I mean, I'm probably going to, uh, no, I'm definitely going to uh, Wisconsin, maybe Minnesota, but probably Wisconsin this, this later this year in May. Uh, that's one that I'm looking forward to, but there's a lot of states I'd like to hunt. Uh, yeah. Indiana's on the list. Kentucky's on the list. I'd like to hunt Mississippi at some point. Don't think I will this year unless I can make something happen. I mean, there's 50 states. I don't know how many have turkeys. It's 48? I think. I think there's, there's I think most, every state in the most, world 48. Yeah. So like most, Isn't there some in Hawaii, too? I'm not sure. I don't there may think, not there's be. not a huntable population in Alaska though. I know no, that. No. But regardless, like to say the lower 48 or whatever. I mean, there's so many states I could hunt. I mean, turkey's a turkey. There's different subspecies I'd like to kill. So, I guess name a state that's got each subspecies. You know, Florida and and, and uh, New Mexico. So, all of the ones you haven't hunted are are at the top of the bucket list, pretty much. I wouldn't even say at the top. I'm. I mean, I like hunting my easterns. Yeah. If I ever decide to do a slam, then yeah, then they'll be at the top of the bucket list. I haven't decided to do a slam yet. No, that's something I may do someday. Somebody uh, asked me the other day. They said, "What's your what's your bucket list hunt?" And my answer was, "I just like hunting deer and deer in Alabama. That's kind of fun to me. <laughs> I can't think of anything that'd be more fun." Yeah, you know, I'd like to get out and hunt different states just for the experience and see what it's like, see how it's different. But I don't really have a particular, you know, one state like I have to hunt this state more than anything like i'd like to turkey hunt iowa uh there's a few i can name that i would like to hunt in particular but not one in particular yeah all right so that's it on the speed round man and that was that was not much of a speed round i i said i wouldn't go into depth that's okay that's fine got to rambling we're good on time so what's your season look like this This, year this year yeah hopefully pretty good (laughs) that wasn't it Hopefully good. Uh, no, where, like, where are you going? Oh, you mean travel-wise, like where I'm hunting? I got <laughs> What's you. it look like? Good? It looks good. Well, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. In terms of where I'm going, Alabama, Tennessee, Wisconsin, um, and wherever else I can manage to get time and money to go hunt. So I'd like to do Kentucky. I'd like to do Mississippi. I just don't think it's going to happen this year. Um yeah, for sure Alabama and Wisconsin. But other than that, it's whatever I can make time for. It a lot of it depends on how my Tennessee season goes. We got four birds here. If I can kill four birds pretty quick, I will, and they'll give me more time and and more of an excuse to get out and hunt some other states. It, the last couple of years, I struggled here in Tennessee. If I, it's another tough year then I'm just going to stay home most of the time and, and just try to kill my four birds here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it really just boils down to what whatever to, to how the season goes. Well, that's cool, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know a lot of people are going to enjoy this. I haven't got to hear you on just a whole ton of podcasts. So, Yeah, I don't do the podcast thing much, but if you say, hey, let's do a podcast and I'm free, you know, I'm, I'm there. Heck, yeah, man. Well, we'll have to – 
get together while you're in Alabama, maybe record another one, see how your season's going. But, yeah, uh, you just got to bug me about it because yeah. I'm not going to remind you about it. <laughs> you say, hey, hey, let's do a podcast and, you know, come over to camp and we'll record one. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, man. Well, cool, dude. Well, thanks so much. Uh, if we got some, we got a little bit of daylight left. Hopefully if it's not raining, we'll run down and see if we can see some birds. Is that what you're wanting to do instead of fish? Oh, I'm, I'm game for whatever. whatever. I was just saying that for the sake of the podcast. For the sake, of, well, I say for the sake <laughs> of turkey season around the corner. Let's go see some birds. <laughs> let's do it, man. All right. All right. Thanks again for listening, guys, to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Big, huge thanks to Catman for allowing me to come over to his house and record this episode. Um, man, it's so much fun to just to sit back and talk about turkey hunting. Talk about any kind of hunting, but our minds are on those dumb birds right now. And I can't stop thinking about them. I know a lot of you guys are the same way. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be about it. Don't forget, you can save 15% on Scree Gear at ScreeGear.com by using the code SOUTHERNGROUNDHUNTING, all lowercase, all one word. And uh, give us a follow on uh, on Facebook at Southern Ground Hunting, on Instagram, all lowercase, all one word, at Southern Ground Hunting. And uh, on YouTube, subscribe on YouTube to the Sports Nation channel. That's about it, guys. Uh, we'll see you, talk to you again next week for another episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. And remember, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next time.